Welcome to the Medical Affairs Professional Society's Evidence Generation Focus Area Working Group. This is the third podcast in a series exploring the application of real-world evidence in regulatory decision-making. As members of the MAPS community, we encourage you to engage in conversations about evidence generation with other MAPS members via the community portal on the MAPS website. Simply log in with the email address and password associated with your MAPS account and click on the discussion tab, then scroll down to evidence generation to post a question or review previous postings. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect on the opinions of MAPS or the companies with which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. In today's podcast, we will discuss recent developments in real-world evidence. Other podcasts will be added on the topic and hopefully stimulate discussions within your own company on the value of evidence generation. I am Dr. Cerise James. I currently serve as a working member of the MAPS Evidence Generation Working Group. The podcast objectives are to discuss how the 21st Century Cures Act has led to new initiatives at the FDA involving real-world evidence. We will also examine some case studies where biopharma and medical device companies use real-world evidence in innovative manners to obtain product regulatory approval. For today's conversation, I'm joined by Mr. Neil Belson, attorney at law. Neil is a member of MAPS and he will be sharing the subject matter expertise with the MAPS membership. Neil has his own law practice in Maryland, which focuses on the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry. Attorney Belson currently assists biopharma companies with legal issues associated with drug development, clinical trials, gene therapy, precision medicine, and real-world evidence. Neil, welcome to MAPS and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Cerise. It's a pleasure to be here. Neil, you've mentioned in our previous podcast the enactment of the America Cures Act in December of 2016, which represented a turning point in the use of real-world evidence for regulatory purposes because it required the FDA to evaluate the use of real-world evidence in the context of satisfying drug post-approval study requirements and approving new indications for drugs that are already approved. Can you give me an idea of what changed following the enactment of the 21st Century Cures Act? A number of things changed. For example, FDA has undertaken a number of initiatives relating to real-world evidence. Additionally, the agency has also issued a handful of innovative new product approvals, which involved real-world evidence. Can you give me some examples of the FDA's regulatory initiatives which followed the Cures Act? Sure. FDA issued a number of guidance and draft guidance documents since enactment of the Cures Act. One significant initiative was in August 2017 when FDA's Device Center, in conjunction with its Biologic Center, published a final guidance on the use of real-world evidence. The two centers stated that they may accept real-world evidence in support of regulatory decisions under certain conditions for both pre-market and post-market purposes. In issuing the guidance, 
FDA stated that there was no system in place to systematically aggregate and characterize all uses of a medical product, uh, devices in their case, in a manner that informs regulatory decisions. FDA hoped to create incentives for such systems by expressing a willingness to accept real-world evidence in its regulatory decisions. In December 2018, FDA's Drug and Biologic Centers published a framework for the use of real-world evidence. That framework essentially followed the 21st Century Cures Act, focusing on evaluating the potential use of real-world evidence to help support FDA approval for new indications for drugs which are already up commercial and using real-world evidence to support or satisfy drug post-approval study requirements. FDA noted that real-world evidence could also be used for other purposes, such as demonstrating comparative effectiveness and safety information or new routes of administration. Presumably, that means that a sponsor could utilize real-world evidence to demonstrate differences in effectiveness or safety between its product and a competitor's product. In May 2019, FDA issued a draft guidance for applicants who are using real-world data to generate real-world evidence as part of a regulatory submission to FDA. FDA intended to use the information for internal tracking purposes only. Neil, can you provide some additional details about the FDA 2018 framework for real-world evidence that you just mentioned? Sure. FDA's framework focused on three factors when evaluating real-world evidence. First, whether the underlying real-world data is, quote, fit for use, end quote. That is, evidence should be capable of answering a research question, even if the evidence was originally generated for a purpose other than research. Second, whether the study design used to generate real-world evidence provides adequate scientific evidence to help answer the regulatory question at issue. Third, whether the study conduct meets FDA requirements, such as for study monitoring and data collection. FDA also commented that transparency about study design and analysis prior to executing the study is critical when using real-world evidence, especially when dealing with retrospective analyses of data. There is currently no comparable real-world evidence analog to clinicaltrials.gov which requires public registration of many randomized clinical trials. FDA expressed concern that without appropriate transparency, an applicant may be able to conduct retrospective analyses using an electronic data set multiple times, varying the studying design parameters until the desired result is obtained, and then submit only the favorable result as if it resulted from a single study with a pre-specified protocol. Regarding transparency, Neil, do you have suggestions for addressing the FDA's concerns about transparency? There are several possibilities. First, while it is not required, parties may voluntarily register observational, i.e. non-interventional studies on clinicaltrials.gov. In fact, ISPOR, the International Society for Pharmacoeconomics and Outcomes Research has just announced the online launch 
of a new voluntary uh, registry for real-world evidence studies. Some organizations have called for the mandatory registration of non-interventional, i.e. real-world evidence studies intended to support regulatory submissions. Regardless, I strongly advise transparency when dealing with FDA with regard to study design and analysis for real-world evidence studies intended to support regulatory approvals. Thank you, Neil. Well, to what extent have these documents helped to clarify what the FDA is looking for with regard to real-world evidence and regulatory submissions? Therese, that's not an easy question. FDA's guidances have received criticism that they were overly general and lacked specific information to applicants as to what would or would not satisfy FDA in a regulatory submission. I do think there is some validity to these criticisms. My own personal view is that FDA is being cautious. The agency has acknowledged that they are trying to find their way through real-world evidence along with everyone else. Any specific guidance that they might attempt to provide at this stage would probably prove inaccurate down the road. So rather than steer people in the wrong direction, the agency seems to be relying on real-life experiences of applicants using or proposing to use real-world evidence to fill in the missing pieces. It's a prudent approach that to some extent involves learning by doing. Neil, you mentioned some innovative new regulatory approvals involving real-world evidence. Could you provide some examples? Happy to. I'll give you one example of real-world evidence being used to support a regulatory approval for a medical device and one indication for a drug. In 2017, FDA relied on real-world evidence to approve a new procedure for the Sapien 3, a device produced by Edwards Life Sciences. FDA had initially approved the device in 2011 as a transcatheter aortic valve replacement, a novel approach that provided a minimally invasive alternative to open-heart surgery for clinically appropriate patients. The company had established a registry following its initial approval to monitor uses of its products, which eventually resulted in a database including records for over 100,000 TAVR procedures. 600 of these records were for an off-label valve valve procedure that had been developed. FDA relied on this registry data, including the valve function, improvement of patient symptoms, and safety of the procedure to approve this new procedure. This valve and valve procedure was shown to improve outcomes as it allowed a new valve to be placed inside a diseased valve. This example shows how real-world data obtained from a project's product registry directly led to approval of an expanded indication for the TAVR-enabling device. Interestingly, FDA commented that even though the U.S. had only been the 42nd country to approve the original TAVR device in 2011, the agency's use of creative regulatory procedures permitted FDA to become the first country to approve the new procedure. An example of real-world evidence being used to support FDA approval of a new drug indication involved the 2019 approval of iBrands, 
manufactured by Pfizer as a treatment for metastatic breast cancer in males. FDA had previously approved Ibrant for metastatic breast cancer in females. Breast cancer in males represented only about 1% of breast cancer cases, and prior to Ibrant, there were no approved treatments for breast cancer in males. Ibrant had, though, been used off-label to treat males with breast cancer. FDA's approval relied in part on data from two large randomized clinical trials in women and supported by clinical pharmacology and non-clinical toxicology studies. Significantly, though, FDA also utilized real-world data from post-marketing reports, insurance claims, data, and electronic health records, including the IQVIA Insurance Database, Flatiron Health Breast Cancer Database, and Pfizer's Global Safety Database. This real-world data showed comparable safety profiles in males treated with Ibrant compared with females treated with Ibrant. FDA extrapolated from the safety data to conclude that efficacy of Ibrant for males would also be comparable with that for females and approved Ibrant for males. FDA noted in its approval letter that given the extensive established efficacy and safety of Ibrant in women that had been observed in randomized controlled trials, the additional real-world evidence data provided in the application for use of Ibrant in men, modest as it is, supported the expansion of Ibrant to provide for the treatment of men with metastatic breast cancer. Neil, thank you for those examples. Can you give us a closing thought as to what you would advise a company that is contemplating using real-world evidence in a regulatory submission? Certainly. Contact FDA early in the process. FDA wants to get them sponsors. As I noted, they are still attempting to develop regulatory standards for real-world evidence and are looking for applicants to provide real-life examples of real-world evidence being used in practice. Equally important, they want you to educate them on your product so that they are not seeing it for the first time when you file regulatory submissions. Speaking with FDA early will also let you know if the agency has concerns about your proposed study approach, potentially including the data you will collect and use, and they can help you correct it before you spend time and resources unproductively. Rather than telling you that you did something wrong, FDA would much prefer to help you do it right. Neil, thank you. We appreciate you sharing this insightful information with the MAPS membership. It was my pleasure, Cerise. The objectives for this podcast were to discuss how the 21st Century Cures Act has led to new initiatives at the FDA involving real-world evidence. We also examined case studies where biopharma and medical device companies use real-world evidence in innovative manners to obtain product regulatory approvals. The Medical Affairs Professional Society recently posted an Elevate article on the real-world evidence, co-authored by Mr. Belson and Robert Honigler, MD, of MSNT Consulting, LLC. Mr. Belson and Dr. Honigberg 
are also preparing a white paper for MAPS, which will discuss real-world evidence in greater detail. This has been the third podcast in a series exploring the application of real-world evidence and regulatory decision-making. If you are a MAPS member, thank you for your support of MAPS. If you are not yet a MAPS member and would like access to additional resources in this area, please visit the MAPS website to explore joining today at medicalaffairs.org forward slash membership forward slash. This concludes the podcast.